Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're excited to present a conversation with Anselm director Vim Venders, moderated by filmmaker Michelle Stevenson. Anselm is now playing at Film at Lincoln Center in stunning 3D. Get tickets at filmlink.org slash A-N-S-E-L-M. Oscar-nominated director Vim Venders traces the life of Anselm Kiefer, one of the most innovative and influential fine artists working today. For more than five decades, Kiefer's paintings and sculptures have confronted his native Germany's dark past through a vast network of cultural references in a dazzling mixture of 35mm and 16mm film stocks with a distinctive focus on physical elements, from lead, glass, and textiles to found and incinerated organic matter. As he did for his sublime portrait of Pina Bausch in 2011, Venders employs groundbreaking stereoscopic cinematography to transport us to key chapters of Kiefer's early life in post-Nazi Germany and throughout his 100-acre studio in France. Anselm, which debuted at this year's Cannes Film Festival, is a portrait of an artist at work like you've never seen before, an indelible visual experience and a vivid tour of Kiefer's imposing yet intricately textured works. Film at Lincoln Center presents Desire Expectations, the films of Edward Yang, a comprehensive retrospective now in progress that honors one of cinema's most celebrated and deeply missed surveyors of the human condition. The series, now extended by popular demand through January 9th, features newly restored and rarely screened films from the pioneering filmmaker's profound body of work. Get tickets at filmlink.org yang. Now please enjoy the conversation with Vim Venders and Michelle Stevenson. Um, this is my second time watching the film. It's just um, so layered, um, so le- relevant to today. Um, I have so many sort of thoughts and ideas and things around form, content, role of the artist, um, structure. Um, I think I'll start with very basic, uh, we can start maybe with form and thinking about the idea of uh, using 3D. Um, I like to think about um, approaching filmmaking or storytelling being platform agnostic in the idea that um, the subject matter um, dictates potentially the form, but there's a process and a practice to that. And can you speak to that? your choices around that. Yeah, there was a practice more than ever because obviously it was a a challenge to find a language of my own towards the art of Anselm Kiefer. And uh, even if we've spoken about this film for a long time, I was in no way prepared, even when we started, because I look at filmmaking as a form of experience and as a form of learning 
And if you know beforehand, well, I just do not know beforehand. Uh, filmmaking is a process, and it's a process of learning. So when Ansem and I decided to do this together, and he basically didn't give me any indication from his side what I should or could do, he basically just had one condition, and the condition was, Vim, you have to surprise me. I don't want to read any concept, don't have any treatment, or I don't want to read anything, period, and I'm not ever going to show up in your editing room. Just promise you'll surprise me. That, of course, was a tall order, because on the other hand, that's what I owe to myself, to surprise me. So... I told him from the beginning this will take a few times. I'm not going to do this in one go. And in the end, I needed seven shooting periods, seven times a week, ten days. And afterwards, I each time went back to my editing room and studied what I had and tried to understand the language I had at my disposal, 3D, in response to his art and saw what I had, saw what I didn't have yet, and then went prepared for the next step. And then again went back and edited and tried to understand. And so it was a long learning process. It was more than ever before in a documentary for me, a learning by doing. But I did slowly get a handle of what my language could do in response to his. And from the beginning, I had not intended to give an opinion on his work. I just wanted to confront it. And I wanted you, the audience, to be able to confront it, not opinionated, but really experience that art. And for me, I mean, I know a lot of painters, and I have a lot of painter friends, but Ansem is quite unique in so far as his art needs a different form of experience too live with it, to understand it, to like it. you got to be there, and you have to stand in front of it. It's not just the huge formats that he's working with and the amazing amount of work he's produced. I mean, that in itself is couldn't quite fathom in the beginning. How, how can I get a, even... How can I even stand up to that amount of work? I cannot show it all. But I felt that with my 3D cameras and with the technology we had at hand, I had a certain way to put you in a position to experience it. So I more and more understood my job as a translator between his art and other people who could experience and be in the privileged situation that he allowed me to be to spend a long time in Bajac in the south of France, to spend a long time in his studio in Croissy, to be present when he was working, which he was very hesitant at first. I mean, after we had agreed on doing this, and I had agreed to the condition to, su to surprise him, he, we do ha did have a glass of wine, and all of a sudden he said, Vim, Whenever you saw a movie about a painter, didn't you think the most boring part was to see a painter paint? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? Do I understand right? Do you think one shouldn't see the painter paint? No, he said, that is completely 
obnoxious, because what else would he do? He would paint. So you don't want to see him paint. I said, but I do want to see you work. Really? <laughs> yeah, I said, it's part of the surprise. And then he accepted it. <laughs> so, but it was a learning process to really fine-tune that language to make it as much an experience-based language as possible and take opinion out because Anjan Ansem is a painter on which a lot of people have opinions in the book good and in the bad side. A lot of people are against anything he does from the beginning and a lot of people love what he does. And and anyway, I wasn't going to make a film for the art world. I was going to make a film for people who didn't know him. And I hope some of you didn't. So, Speaking of it being an experience, you played with structure in terms of this non-linear aspect of it, where time was collapsed, but there was still a journey because... Um, I mean, we start with some of his work being individual provocations um, from occupations and some of his other work. And then we end in this sort of uh, space of myth, but also this uh, collapsing of the child and the, and, and, and the elder into one. Can you speak to that? The key word in your question and the key word in my confronting Ansem's work was time. Because like no other painter, I felt unconsciously, couldn't put my finger on it, and it's one of the reasons I had to make the film. He did incorporate time in a way that I did not understand at first in his paintings. There was time present in it, more than in any other kind of painting, sculpture. I mean, he did go into lots of fields, but time was an essential element that preoccupied him and that he was able to somehow capture in his work. And of course, time, you know that as a filmmaker, we work with time. And we go and shoot something, and every time the camera runs and every shot and every piece is a segment of time, and then we go back home and edit it, and we work with time elements, and we try to construct something in time. So time, in a way, is you know my medium as a filmmaker, and then you confront a painter, and he does control time in a way that you do not quite understand. It's not my way of dealing with time. And then I slowly understood what it was, and I tried to convey it in the film, that what he did to his paintings and how he treated them always as unfinished. For him, nothing is finished. Some of my favorite paintings of his, I came back the next day, they were gone. I said, where did you put them? He said, here it is. But he painted over it. <laughs> so it's always a process. And in that process, he does a lot of things to destroy the paintings. You've seen him burn them or put boiling lead on them, uh, or he puts ashes on them, or, or he puts them in an oven and bakes them for a long time. As, and then they look when they come out as if they've been in the Sahara sun for a year. They just cracked all over. And he loves everything that time does to it and tries to provoke that. And then also in his own life, because there's subjects that come back all the time in his work, 
there are some permanent subjects and sometimes he adds new ones. But I felt he'd been working for 50 years on some of the same subjects, except that it did move on. And I realized here's a man who, and for me that's really an ideal for life, who stayed in touch with stuff that preoccupied him from the beginning and even from his childhood. And I know how much I profit from my childhood experience as a filmmaker and I know how much my imagination and my fantasy is still based on stuff that moved me when I was a child. So, And mainly, and so often you see ch children disappear in people and they do not no longer are in touch with the child they once were. And with Ansem, it was he was very much in touch with that child inside himself and with the time and with his emotions and his experiences when he was young and grew up in the same country that I grew up at the same time. We were born in the same year. We did grow up in a country that did not exist anymore, period, and that had to reinvent itself and did this with a common understanding and the silent agreement that there was no past to it. Let's not have a past, but just invent a future. And that, when you grow up, goes into your genes and it's in your brain and you slowly realize there's something wrong with it, uh, something very wrong with it. My own reaction to, to that feeling was from the beginning to get out. I always wanted to leave. I, since I remember I wanted to leave this country behind and Ansem did the opposite and that very much attracted me to find out why was that? Why Ansem did you so much insist on poking into this wound and fighting that forgetness? And that was basically my impulse to make the film, to, to bring that out, that constant fight against forgetting and what sort of an impulse that is for an artist. And that fighting against forgetting, you, you include in the work, and he does as well, Paul Celan, the Jewish poet. Can you speak to a little bit about the process um, and maybe your relationship to the poet or what his significance is for the film as well as Anselm? Anselm had allies, and these were always poems, poetries, poets. He very much reads and loves poetry and very often used poetry as titles of paintings and sometimes and he always puts them in his own handwriting in his own childlike hand, handwriting and they're an integral part of what he does and the poetry in it doesn't always explain what what it is about and sometimes it's mysterious but he says these poets are his allies and their words are for him untouchable. He he doesn't want to alter it, or he doesn't. They are not material. But he, these quotes for him are part of what the film is about, or what the painting is about, and what he tried to express. And he quotes in his work more than anybody else, Paul Celan. And I must admit, I wasn't so much familiar with the life and the work of Paul Celan, but I really got involved and 
in the end knew everything about the life of Paul Celan, had read each and every poem, and really got involved in his life story because it was so important for Anselm's work. And he cited him, quoted him so often that I realized I couldn't quite do the film without informing you on Paul Celan and without informing the audience. And his key poem is the so-called Death Fugue, and at least that's the English translation. So, And I thought it was so important, and I felt that Anselm's work was so much in relation to that. And there was the really... I mean, there was a theory that, that after Auschwitz you couldn't do any art anymore, and certainly not poetry. And I felt Paul Celan had proven that wrong. And he did write about it, and he found words for the unspeakable. And Anselm was very much in awe of his work and quotes many lines from his poetry. So I make, added this chapter on this death fugue, and actually you hear it with his own voice, and I'm sorry that you have to listen to it and read subtitles, but that was the condition. So it was an important part for me of the film, and I always felt it is quite long and it is quite quite difficult for you to sit through a poem in doing a movie, but it was either I was going to make this film and have this poem in it or not. So for me, the condition of making this film and the condition of making a film about Ansem and about the time he lived and about his fight against forgetfulness, it had to include the death fugue. So it's in its it's in the in its entirety, and you learn a little bit about him. You learn a little bit about a man who lived in a German-speaking country, who was born in a German-speaking country at the far east of of the. It was rather part of Austria at the time, and of the Austrian Empire, if you go longer, and his country. The Bukovina at the end of the war was gone. He had a passport from a country that didn't exist anymore. So he had other passports. This became Romania. Now where he was born is part of Ukraine, actually. Ukraine. Half Ukraine, half Romania. So it, his country where he was born and where his mother's tongue, the, in the true sense, his mother's tongue was German, does not exist anymore. So there was a very tragic um, base for a writer to write in a language of a country that didn't exist anymore and the language of the of the aggressors on top of everything who killed his father and his mother so I felt Anselm had really very much adopted his point of view in a lot of his work and his paintings so I had to make that somehow visible in the film I think I have time for one last question. Oh, go on. Oh. No, we go on. <laughs> Look, nobody's getting up. <laughs> we only started. Um, as a, as, as to close, um, did you shock Anselm? And for yourself, what was the most shocking part to you in the making of this film? The most shocking thing for me was the understanding and slow understanding that 
Even if I considered myself a workaholic, I had nothing on answer. <laughs> I'd never seen anybody work so relentlessly, so passionately, so entirely. When I walk up, wake up at night, I read a book, and Ansem gets into his shoes and goes to the studio and paints in the middle of the night. And he's very happy then when he's, when nobody even knows he's there. So he's, he's, his whole life is work. And it's not the amount of work, it's also the dedication to the idea that there's nothing that escapes painting, that everything that you can imagine and that you hear about and that you learn about and that you that is there science mythology history religion everything is material for painting you can paint it all and that to understand that and i really only understood it you see his library for a little, little moment in the film i mean you see part of his library because I couldn't show it all. So I went in there, spent some time, and I thought, well, he has a lot of books, okay. This is like the library of a small town, his personal library. But he didn't read it all, I thought. So I went and picked the book, and it was underlined, everything, there was notes in it. He worked that book on mathematics, or whatever it was. Or the whole shelf, the whole book, shelf on Jewish mythology. I thought he didn't really read it all. I picked books and books. It was all underlined. It was all noted. It all had pieces falling out with notes. And in the end, I realized he did read it all. He is sort of a universal scientist, really. And, and even if that doesn't exist anymore, people who know almost about everything, he is one of those, and he puts it all into his painting, and he feels that painting is a way to condense what we are and our identity and where we come from, and to combine the past and make it live on into the future. And so that is what I really, what really surprised me. And I did surprise him too. When he finally saw the finished film, I showed it to him in the theater. I liked this one. He sat in the first row. And I was in the back, and I was, of course, very anxious and had stage fright because he sat there and watched it. And at the end, when the film was over, he, he sat there and didn't move for minutes. And finally, he turned around and said, you did it. You did surprise me. <laughs> and that was, of course, fine. I think he was very surprised to see his own son play himself. We kept that a secret. We had to keep it a secret because otherwise my biggest surprise would have been gone. He was surprised that there was a little boy that played him, although he did know it, but he was surprised about the space the boy took. He knew it because at one moment, the last, almost the last shot of the film was when he takes the boy on his shoulder. And that, but the way the boy really represented him, he was—he didn't know. So he was surprised, and in the end, so I did what I was supposed to do as far as he was concerned. And I hope I did surprise you too a little bit, and I hope you do have an experience, and I hope you have a way to think about Ansem Kiefer and not really 
necessarily have an opinion, but that you did have an experience because I did have a huge experience over three years with him and we shot for two and a half years. I edited for almost three years. And in the end, it became something that I feel does justice to his work. And for me, that is the biggest thing I want to accomplish, that a film does justice to what he's, it's about. And it's not any other satisfaction than that I feel that you know a little bit about Anselm Kiefer now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this gift. Thank you.